Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. Before we begin this week, a very special shout out to my new Patreon sponsors, Barry and Grant. Thank you for your kindness. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. You can help keep the podcast ad-free by chipping in no more than the cost of a coffee each week. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago, and the Camino is a series of pilgrimages across Europe. The most popular routes are in Spain, France, Italy, and Portugal, but you can walk Caminos in Germany or Belgium, the Netherlands, Switzerland, pretty much right across Europe. Indeed, you can walk all the way from Jerusalem. Most pilgrims plan to one day arrive at the majestic cathedral in the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela. It was named as such because the church holds the remains of Christ's apostle St. James, James's patron saint of Spain. He travelled to the region in the wake of Jesus' death to teach and preach, and he returned to the Holy Land a few years later and was martyred. His followers took his remains to Spain to be buried in a field, and his tomb was found 800 years later by a shepherd tending his flock. The Spanish authorities determined the body was that of St. James or Santiago and built a huge cathedral to house the casket containing his body. You can visit the crypt and kneel before the silver casket. Pilgrims walk sometimes thousands of kilometres or perhaps just a few hundred kilometres to arrive in the ancient city full of hope and dreams full of love and life. Perhaps you walked to celebrate your retirement. It was something you'd always promised yourself you'd do. Maybe you decided to walk with a loved one to celebrate the love you share. Share is a common theme on the Camino. Mealtime is often breaking bread with strangers who become friends. The sharing of the time together allows us time to earn perspective. You might offer advice, perhaps a shared experience, but mostly you'll listen. And what a gift it is to listen. What a gift to have the time to listen. This has been a very, very busy year. We've finally emerged from the pandemic. Millions lost their lives and well, no one saw it coming. We learned to cherish what is precious to us, those we love and care about, and to reach out to care a little more about and in our own communities. Taking a meal to someone you know is alone. Taking a call from someone who needed to talk. Zoom meetings. <laughs> An entirely new perspective. A glimpse into others' lives we hadn't imagined. Most of you know I'm executive producer of a daily news podcast in Australia. It's called The Briefing. And when I look back through the year that was, I see floods and pandemic, elections, the death of the longest-serving queen, more floods, and a yearning for that time before when you could afford to sign off. We did an episode this week on what's called your right to disconnect. Everyone is connected now. Because we work on computers, we are connected via computers. We're always connected because we carry a computer in our pocket, our phone. And the right to disconnect is about sectors seeking to have that right included in their job description. So if you finish work at 4pm, you're not expected to receive or respond to calls or emails or texts until you begin work again the following day. It's your right, enshrined in legislation, to be able to disconnect. 
When I was on my most recent Camino with my family just a few months ago, I was in Madrid having coffee with my wife and sons and an email alert came up on my phone from my work. My son grabbed the phone off me and turned off the alerts and I didn't even know how to do that. So I've never bothered turning it back on. So it means I have to make a point of going to search to see if anyone's trying to reach me out of hours. And it works. I work from 3.30am each day to 11.30am. So if you want to connect, you better get me during those hours. Because once I walk out of work, I disconnect. Sure, I take urgent calls and sometimes I work very, very long days. But by and large, I've chosen to disconnect. You and I know the ultimate disconnect is a long way away in the north of Spain. The Camino allows you, actually encourages you to truly disconnect. And when we're as busy as we are, it is a truly great gift to give ourselves. It's our right to disconnect. I've interviewed countless people on this podcast who say they were a mother, a wife, a sister, a daughter-in-law, or a son, a brother, a husband, or a son-in-law, and never took time to be them. So why not disconnect with the roles you've been given or given yourself and be the true you on the Camino de Santiago, the adventure of a lifetime? This has been a year of challenge. What we learn from the pandemic will take some time to emerge, I'm sure. But there were silver linings to the storm clouds of change. Some of us learned how to play guitar. Some connected with family and friends more than ever before, thanks to the lockdowns and the emergence of Zoom. And we knew checking in was really important with so many people checking out. And I know of at least six book clubs that emerged. One I love is a group of blokes in Canada who talk books and whiskey once a week. And I think the books take a back seat most of the time. Children taught their parents how to dance. People got dressed up to take their garbage out and others use the isolation as inspiration. My guest this week is one such pilgrim. Brian Crothers is a world traveler. He's traveled journeys most of us can only imagine. And it's his imagination that led him to discover his way of coping with lockdown and the pandemic. He wrote a book. And it's Brian's second book. It's called Camino Child. The American author Nora Roberts, who's written more than 200 books, said once, As a writer, you have to have the three Ds, drive, discipline, and desire. If you're missing any one of those three, you can have all the talent in the world, but it's going to be really hard to get anything done. Brian Crothers has plenty of those three Ds. He's on the line. Welcome, Pilgrim. Thanks, Dan. Good to be with you. I was lucky enough to run into you in Santiago de Compostela just uh, a month or so ago. What were you doing there? Tell us about your latest Camino or Caminos. Yeah, it was an interesting time, uh, and you know that I was just felt so blessed to be able to catch up with you yeah. and see your show. That was awesome. Um, so, uh, my wife and a bunch of friends and I started talking about doing something this year, and uh, I, I wanted to walk a, a lot. They didn't so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I walked. Uh, I left my wife and a friend in Lisbon took a train up to Porto and then walked the uh, coastal route of the Camino Portuguese to Santiago. Um, and then after a day there, I went, I walked out to Muxia and finished there. And then 
at the end of that day, that's when I made it back into Santiago to, to catch your show. And um, I think it was the next day I, I flew to Madrid, met my wife and um, let's see, five friends. And we drove to Pamplona that day to do what we ended, ended up calling a bougie Camino. And this, this won't go well with the, the purists, but we walked and, and drove the Camino Frances from Pamplona to Santiago. And so it, it was a lot of fun. I, I was really concerned about all of these moving parts and people showing up at the right time, including me. And it, it just worked out so well. I felt so blessed by, by all of that and, and by being able to share what I've been telling these people about for years, you know, how we do, we talk Camino <laughs> to anybody that'll sit. And uh, we, we just had a great time. Yeah. And it, was, it wasn't so busy, was it? I, I had heard, and indeed on this podcast, a lot of people have been saying it was really busy. I didn't find it that busy. And you were there about the same time as me. So it was uh, August into September, September into October. How was it for you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was busy, but not, well, it, it was much busier than years past. I to the Frances in 15 and the Via de la Plata in 16 and the Norte in 19 and had little trouble. And it didn't make any reservations to speak of and, and didn't have any trouble. This year, because I'd been reading, like some of us have been reading on the forums about how busy it was, I made reservations for almost everything, including our, our car trek across the Frances. And, um, I was really kind of happy I did because a lot of times people were being turned away as I was checking in and uh, it just was nice to have that, that off of the, the stress, you know, you didn't yeah. have to deal with thinking about that. And, and I would, I was hearing people, they were trying to call ahead, you know, a day or two ahead and they were still struggling. They were, they were managing, but it was a little bit of work and I, I was so glad I, I did what I did. Yeah. Ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, Brian, about the coastal route of the Portuguese Camino. I understand it's very beautiful. You and I were talking about it, and and uh, I've got very fair skin, so I'd have to be careful walking out in the open like that. But tell us about that route. Well, it, it is um, exposed, and I, I've developed – I have fair skin as well and, and burn really easy, and I, I just cover up a lot uh, – with clothing and uh, prefer that to sunscreen, although I end up using sunscreen on my face. Um, so, and it was, it was overcast, I'd say half the time. So um, I didn't have any issues with that. Uh, the, that coastal route is gorgeous. It's different. Um, much, much of it is much of what you see um, is is newer. You know, it's not the old villages that you would see on the interior or what you see on the Frances. Uh -huh. um, and and a lot of it, which is really entertaining, I thought uh, a lot of it's on boardwalk, on the dunes through the along the beaches, and um, so that's easy on the joints and yeah, you know, you don't have you have very little. It's very flat, very doable, very easy. 
um, in in comparison to you know, especially the Norte, which is all up and down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. that's that's along the coast, but it's a completely different coast. And how much of this Portuguese coastal route are you walking on the sand? Um, not not a lot, not a lot. Mm. You, you go from from uh, blacktop um, asphalt bike trails to the boardwalk to, to some sand but very very little uh, nothing consequential yeah right because um, it's very difficult to walk in sand yeah um i i've done a bit of that in my past in my ultra running days mm. it's not a lot of fun <laughs> no that's right in fact uh, i i remember when i last spoke to you one of my questions was about um, some of the things you've done in the past, climbing mountains in Africa, the Andes, Russia, the Himalayas, mountain bike racing in South Africa, and this foot race in the Sahara Desert. So you'd know all about yeah. the difficulty of trekking through soft sand. I've also, in the notes from my last interview, I remember reading from one of your, I think it was the Amazon page where it said, Brian Crothers is a baby boomer, a son, a husband, a father, and a grandfather a retired power generation yeah. professional and avid adventurer and world traveler. Where do you think this passion comes from and, and why does it still burn so strongly in you? Have you not tired of it all? <laughs> uh, no. Um, uh, where do I get it? I, I feel like I get it from my parents and grandparents, my, my dad who is 89 now and still would love to travel that's a bit much for him um he was always you know what let's see what's over the next hill or what's around the next bend and very curious in that way and they um after his retirement years ago traveled the united states and mexico and canada alaska and that that's always been there um grandparents kind of did the same thing uh i think well, I know I first that's that's gone out to see so much of the world. Yeah. Um, and the, the adventures thing, that really was uh, the group of people I got introduced to. Um, uh, the first trip, I, I was invited by a high school chum uh, at a 20th, I think it was a 20th um, high school reunion. Uh, to join them on a trek uh, up Kilimanjaro. And that was wonderful, absolutely you know, opened all my eyes to, to what's possible and introduced me to a, a group of, of people that do a lot of this and, and so much more. Hmm. Um, one, one gentleman, he's uh, been in the States for a very long time, but he's from the north of England and that's the way he was raised. You yeah. know, like every weekend, they were out traipsing around, climbing peaks. And that's he still does, and he's you know he's in his late sixties, and and uh, so it's just it, I think it was it was that that original foundation with my parents and grandparents, but then it, being introduced to the people that could um, could expose me to what's possible. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So, and and the and the Camino fits that narrative perfectly, doesn't it? It, it does. Uh, I, I, we may have talked about this in the last uh, interview. I I was introduced to the Camino 
somewhat like you with Shirley MacLaine's book yeah, that's years right. ago. Yeah. And it was, it was just set a seed there. And then I was doing a lot of ultra adventure stuff, like you said, climbing and, and mountain biking and that, that sort of thing. And a friend of mine and I talked about doing the Camino. And so in 2015, we did the Frances in July. She was an educator and um, that was the time off that she had. And um, I, I was already retired at that point, but uh, we, and we had a limited amount of time. We did it in 20 days uh, from St. Jean. So, um, but that was all well and fine. It was the introduction to the Camino that it really is something, it, it is something special. And, and it, it got into my blood like so many of us. Yeah. And it's that camaraderie, isn't it? Oh, I know that when, when we ran into one another in, in Santiago, it, it was we were in the bar, I was playing a little show there, and just the love in the room was amazing. Just this real, real camaraderie, and, and it's really such a special part of it, isn't it? Did you manage to, 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 or the people that you took, your wife included, did they manage to experience a little bit of that, or did you, like me, find yourself sort of sticking together a bit? Uh, no. We, we stuck together, but I I really feel like they got a good introduction um, to some of the highlights, some of the scenes, some variety of trails, um, but also the people. Yeah. I let, I didn't try to guide that in any way. I was, my wife and had, I had set up the rental car and the, and the lodging, and I kind of had this this checklist of places I wanted to show my friends. But then on that, after that, they, you know, we'd be sitting somewhere having lunch and they're off talking with people from all over the world and, and, and having their own Camino yeah. in that way. And, and you're right. It's, it, it's, it is a camaraderie. It's a, you know, it's a, you know, like purpose. And uh, I don't know. It's just, it is the most special thing to do a <laughs> place to be and, and get to know people i uh, i'm a recovering introvert and <laughs> being on camino i don't i don't play that role on camino i i talk with people all the time and uh on port in the portuguese route i met just some fantastic people from from england and from from actually from home i bet like two different individuals that have ties family ties to the county that i live in wow which is a very small little county and um yeah it's just it was really special in that it always is very special in that way of uh, these these links or just the people that you meet and talking perspectives talking about your country i uh i, I met a young woman I, I think it was the day i walked into Mashia. she and a a young man had met the first day out of St. Jean. They'd been together since, and she was from Singapore. And uh, so I asked her about Singapore, and she kind of gave me the Wikipedia version. And I'm like, well, no, what's what's it like? <laughs> you know, yeah. so we got I got to learn about Singapore, you know, and how it, it is to live there. And there's there's so many of those opportunities to 
to broaden our our worldview. Yeah, 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 and nothing like in a, in a, in a yeah, in a safe way too. Yeah, yeah, nothing like learning from them, from from the people living yeah. living it and breathing it. Yeah, yeah, and it's a really terrific opportunity. So you just mentioned there that you are a recovering introvert. What exactly does that mean? <laughs> now you're obviously joking, but you've obviously also given it enough thought that you you happily describe yourself in that way. What does it mean, firstly, and and take us through that journey because that's quite interesting, I'm sure. Well, it, it has been a lifelong journey. I, um, people that I've known for the last 10 or 15 years don't see that in me. They, they never saw that in me. But in my younger years, I was very quiet, very reserved. I was the guy at the party that nobody knew was there kind of thing. <laughs> and I, I just I never did like that because I always wanted to, to branch out and always wanted to grow. And um, as in my career, I, um, it, it was holding me back. I couldn't interview well for job uh, advancements. So I went to HR manager, talked with her. She introduced me to uh, Toastmasters International. That's a great organization to help you break through those barriers of speaking in front of people, presenting uh, you know, before a board or something like that presenting before my peers yeah uh so so that gave me a, a really good tool bag for that and then you know taking that out into my adventures whether that was a local um ultra marathon or a you know climb in, in the andes or you know where you meet people from all over as well or the camino uh, it, it i had those tools and i could use them and and just become much more comfortable uh, talking with people, and um, you know it's, it's especially easy on the Camino because you're you're there for the same purpose, and and uh, it, it it make it puts me at ease yeah. to be able to talk with folks. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 caveat to that is uh, I, the pandemic. I got set back you know, a couple of years. Yeah. You know, um, because you locked at home, um, didn't get to do much of that, didn't get to go out very much. So it took me a little while, but not as long, but it took me a little while to get, get back on my feet that way. And when you think back to the old Brian, why do you think there was that introversion? Why do you think you were that quiet guy that nobody recognized or, or noticed at the party? Oh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't really know. There's, I don't feel like there's any kind of, um, you know, childhood event that created it or um, anything like that. My, my father, very much the same way, very quiet, uh, reserved guy, but you know, loves to talk with people when he gets a chance to sit down with them. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't. I don't really know the answer to that, Dan. Um, yeah. It's a good question, but I, one I'll have to explore. <laughs> yeah. The only reason I ask it is because I know that kind of coming to terms with or, or or making peace with that identity 
would help you to continue to to come out of your shell, which I think is just a wonderful thing. I certainly would never have considered you to be an introvert. So that's really, really interesting. And I'm sure, as you say, walking the Camino, what's a wonderful adventure that it is, has helped you. I, I sometimes think about it, and when I look back, I think, oh, well, I must be going back early next year or, or perhaps even you know March, April, May or something next year and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I can think about it almost like it's I know what to expect. So there's yeah. a sense of, of calm now. What do you think yeah. and, and what comes to your mind when you think about the Camino and, and your journeys and experience there? Well, I, I really do feel it the same way. It's just that ease, um, especially after doing as many. I, I, I love helping people now, sharing my knowledge. And, uh, and I feel like, so much like you would, if, if I decided to go in March, I wouldn't have any problem. Wouldn't I, it wouldn't be stressful to consider that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I just love that aspect about it. But it also it branches out. I, you know, I'd love to do other things. Um, I've done the tour of Mount Blanc in in the Central Europe, and and uh, I'd love to do the. I think it's called the Komodo Kodo in Japan. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there's and I I feel like you know other than learning maybe the ins and outs and the, and the cultural aspects of, of something like Japan, which is very different. I don't, I don't think I would stress about it. Yeah. 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 I know. I think I can hear the, the cogs in your brain turning as we speak. <laughs> you're, ready, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. Yeah. Um, I, I remember um, last time we spoke, I quoted Dolly Parton who said, find out, who you are, and do it on purpose. And I remember saying to you back then, I think it was exactly, almost exactly a year ago this week that we spoke, about your writing and how much I enjoyed your writing. And the reason that we're talking this week is because you have a new book, Camino Child. Tell us about 15-year-old Summer Darling and, and, and the Camino Child. Yeah, well, I've... I've written quite a little bit, and I've been telling people this is the one I'm proud of. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. I've, I've been living it for a while. Uh, you know, stepping back to the beginning, I was hiking with some some friends on the Pacific Crest Trail, and it was a three week uh, section that we were doing. And like I say, you know, we we talk Camino when when we're when we're into it when it's in our blood and. And I was talking about writing and, and that sort of thing. And, and one of the gentlemen in the group, he uh, retired educator, he says, hey, you should write. And he just gave me this premise, this golden premise in, in like one sentence. And I've been living that since 2018. And, you know, the story evolved and, and summer evolved in my mind, but I know everything about her and her whole family going back to the seventies. And <laughs> I, you know, I've made this all up and you know, written you know, 180,000 words to come down to this, this one novel. And I still, I, I'm outlining the next novel. 
available in that. And uh, I was, it was a, a special moment. And I, I'm glad that I, I glommed onto it mm. or it glommed onto me. And uh, so to tell you about her, she's not ordinary California teenager. She was raised on a commune uh, in the in Washington State, and it, it wasn't wasn't a great place for her. So her grandmother comes and gets her, moves her to California, and and then they receive part of a travel journal that was written by this grandmother's now deceased sister back in the eighties, while she is in Spain on the Camino de Santiago looking for or thinking that she might run across her father, their, the, the two sisters' father, yeah. um, as he's, he's trying to process his time in Vietnam. He'd come home, come to the States, spent some time, just wasn't working for him, and he, he went, just, just took off, and that's right. where... He, he ends up so that's that's the storyline now the mystery is what what's in the journal and, and and where will it lead this 15 year old girl and um and how will she grow what will she take what will she make of the camino de santiago and a, a bit autobiographical she's an introvert in the beginning <laughs> That's great. It's a, a, an interesting synopsis because you've got the the perspective of a fifteen year old and her grandmother, so two very different perspectives. And yet, uh, and then then the forty year old travel diary is yet another perspective. It's kind of really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's I I found it I, on Amazon. They have all does categories and i found the one that i felt uh worked the best it's it's a multi-generational family epic as told by a young person so it's it might be considered a young adult novel but i think that mothers and grandmothers and you know fathers and grandfathers uh, would young would would enjoy it just as much because of all of that because it is multi-generational. What did you learn about yourself when you were writing it? That's a really good question. I think the, the main thing that I have learned, I started off with a travel blog. After 2015 in the Camino Francis, I started off with a travel blog. And I, I enjoyed that. It was creative nonfiction in a small way, and it was fun to tell my story. I, uh, I wrote a, a book about the Camino Frances back then. But then when I started writing fiction, I discovered that I really enjoyed making stuff up, <laughs> you know, kind of living in a, especially during the pandemic. Yeah, uh, living in a different world, you know, getting outside of the four walls that I was staring at, if it was only in my head, but I was still able to to get outside uh, in that way 
uh, it was very helpful um, to to pass pass that time to get through that tough time. Uh, but I think that the thing that I I discovered is that I like to write and I like to write fiction, and I love anything to do with Camino. So putting them together was that was the gift given by this friend of mine on the Pacific Crest Trail. How wonderful! To put these two things together, and and it's I I think I'll be there for the next ten years probably. Um, yeah, you quote Mark Twain. Uh, you say travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. That's your motivation, your mission statement, I think you called it at some stage, for you doing your world wandering and your writing. But that really rings true when you think about the pandemic and how we all were painted into this little corner, weren't we? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and oh, there was a certain amount of fear, trepidation, what's tomorrow bring? You know, it, it, it was difficult for so many people, you know, unfortunately, so many people that passed because of it. But yeah. that added to the fear. Um, I, I, I was really, I felt blessed to be able to, uh, to get away that, that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so what does writing look like for you? Is it easy or is it a difficult process? Is it um, come freely? You, you write 80,000 words and then you go back and rewrite it. Tell us about the actual writing process. Well, it's evolved quite a lot over the years. I, I, I wrote in my professional career. I was an engineer. I ended up in an engineering position and uh, management positions and all i wrote were, were uh, proposals and technical specs and it was very dry and i you know, didn't like that, that was painful <laughs> yeah and uh and then as i did the travel blog that was small enough that i could uh, could find that I liked it and that, that I could figure out the mechanics and, and there's kind of a format to that. Uh, it was easy enough. But when I took on novels, uh, I've had, I've been blessed with so many great people around me. I belong to a critique group of uh, veteran write, writers. I am a member of Napa Valley Writers Group uh, where again, many uh, experienced writers uh, in that group. I met a woman who I ended up hiring as my writing coach. And uh, ultimately, she did the copy editing mm. on Camino Child. And in all through all of these, this process, these years, um, and, and even on a daily basis, I learn. Uh, and that's, you know, kind of my personal model motto is never stop learning yeah and i feel like i'm i'm capable to to live that um because it, it really is it just you think about oh i want to write my story or i, I want to tell this story or that story that's wonderful and some people can pick it up and just do it <laughs> there's not many of us that can and i've evolved from kind of being a pantser writer meaning that you just pick up and start writing and then you fix it later yeah to more of an outliner 
I now outline because the the thing that I enjoy the most about writing is that rush when it's just flowing through you. Story is out there somewhere in the universe and it's just coming through you, coming out your fingertips onto the, the uh, laptop. And I, sometimes I'll pour out, you know, 3,000 words or more. I'll be sitting in my chair writing when my wife leaves to go to her office and so I'll be still sitting there at the end. I, I love those those days when it's just like channeling through me. Yeah, wow. And you know, that's so that's why I've evolved to more of an outliner. So now once I have the outline and believe in what I have and the plots and, and all of the pieces are in the right place, I feel like I can, if I can just channel that and just stay with it, um, that's, that's where... The, I like to be, it's, it's almost, it's like a high. It's like a runner's high, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just get in the zone, you know. It's really funny. Um, I hadn't heard the term pantser until not long ago. <laughs> and it's it means you, you write flying by the seat of your pants, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah there's, there are pantsers and outliners. And, and, uh, and I, I suppose that, you know, it's, personality to some degree but it's also how you've learned and um i still i will still pant sometimes like if i I get an idea for a short story i'll just you know just throw it down and you know maybe it's three or four or five thousand words that's easy enough to go back and fix um but you don't want to write a whole novel and then go back and fix it i've done that yeah well that's right that's creating a lot of work for yourself isn't it do you do you sort of dedicate a couple of hours per day or do you work nine to five on it or do you have a sort of routine and do you have a special place where you write? Yeah, uh, good questions as well. I I, I developed a, an office downstairs to have my quiet place and I just, I've never ended up there. I end, end up on the couch in the living room <laughs> and... Uh, I'm just comfortable there and I can see out. We have a wonderful view from our home here north of the Napa Valley. And and um, it, it just, it seems to work better for me when doing you, that. Yep. And, and my day, my day is, um, I, I write first thing in the morning. And I think most writers that I've talked with do. Uh, that's That's when you're the freshest and you can... So I will look the night before I'll look at what I want to look right the next day. So I'll look at the outline that next morning. I just start on that and I go until the juices just start slowing down. And that's usually three or four hours, maybe five. And on those great days, eight. Yeah. But I, I would say it's more like three or four hours. And then I will, um, I still exercise a lot. I will walk to the gym. I'll go for a bike ride or a long walk, something like that for a few hours. And then a big part of being a a writer is not just the writing, but also the marketing and website development and, and uh, those sort of things. So that fills the rest of my day when it's, it's kind of more, the mechanics you're working on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it ends up filling a day. Uh, 
almost all the time. But what a wonderful way to be creative and to stay in touch with not only your writing and your creativity, but the Camino as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in this, I, you know, I belong to uh, Ivar's forum. I, I, I mean, I participate on there. I am on several Facebook groups and a uh, member of the American Pilgrims on Camino and our, our Northern California chapter. And all of that keeps me in touch and keeps me seeing other books that are coming out. I've read some fantastic books this year, uh, Miracles on the Camino and uh, Pilgrim by Brad Batten. I love that book. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And you know, do, doing all that and staying in touch with that uh, is, is so helpful. And it's it's just so so close to what I love that it's it's a pleasure it, it, it makes the day a, a great day is there another book are you working on something else already or are you you're just concentrating on this one so yeah camino child is is out and um, i'm marketing it where i can and uh pushing it and i'm, I'm outlining the next uh summer darling story it starts off just a month or so after the end of, of Camino Child, and it takes her through the pandemic and her struggling, like so many of us, we wanted to go, we wanted to travel, we wanted to do things, but she's, like the rest of us, couldn't go anywhere. So she, you know, she'll continue to, to plan and then, you know, things fall apart because of another wave of, of coronavirus or whatever. And, but ultimately, she gets to Portugal. She walks the Portuguese. Um, that's why I went and did that route, because I knew that's what I wanted her to do. And, hey, others' trials and tribulations I won't go into, but that, that the next story is that. Um, and I, I see another one after that. Um, so I, I think there'll be three in this, in this series. Wow. Could it be a film? I believe that Camino Child would be a fantastic film. Yeah, <laughs> because because it touches on so many uh, generations, so many topics, and uh, and and so much of the Camino, and so much of what you know the Camino magic that that she experiences, the kindness of people, um, just you know, variety, so many layers to it. I, I really think it would be fun to do that. Um, <laughs> where do you start? I, with that, yeah, good question. <laughs> I, I went to I went to a writers conference earlier this year, and I met a, a screenwriter there. And I have a screenwriter friend. Uh, he has a summer place up here, and uh, I've talked with both of them, and it's not really gone anywhere, but it's still a possibility. It's just going to more conferences and being and getting in touch with yeah. more people it's it's also writing more writing more in general but writing more short stories and getting them accepted in various places you know, that it's it's a the, the building of a platform to broadcast your your books or your stories from is 
is more work than than writing. Yeah, that's right. It's a lot of networking. Yeah, a lot of networking. It's constant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It is. That's why there's people who've made a lot of money doing it because it takes a lot of work and a lot of legwork and a lot yeah. of mind work as well. Oh, it's been absolutely delightful yeah. talking to you, Brian. Congratulations on the book. What's next for you? When are you back to the Camino? What's the What's 2023 going to hold? <laughs> that, that's a good question. I um, The only thing that I have is... Uh, in California, I'm going to do another section of the Pacific Crest, about four weeks, uh, maybe 380 miles on that. Wow. And that's the only thing I have for sure that I want to do. Um, staying, I'm staying closer to home because of my parents uh, for now. Uh, but we'll see how long that, how long that lasts, <laughs> how, how long I could be caged. You know. Well, I wish you all the best in no matter what your endeavors in, involve over the next 12 to 18 months, two years, because I'm sure at some stage our paths will cross again as they did so surprisingly in Santiago. It was an absolute yes. delight to see you. Yeah, it, it was fantastic. I uh, heard just, I think the day before, uh, Lee Brennan had posted it and like, oh man, I got to have to make this happen. So I caught a cab from, uh, from Phoenix there back to the fastest cab ride ever <laughs> back to Santiago and uh, I got bought some new some clean clothes not nothing great but just clean and uh, made it to the show it was so fun I you know I'd met Lee when I finished the uh, the uh, Portuguese I did an interview with her and then that night I met Andy Holloway I met uh, Patty Silva, Patty Pie, uh, you know, I I've been friends with her on Facebook for years because we have a mutual friend lives up here where I do, and we just got to meet. The whole trip was like that. I, you know, Yasmar Martinez, Yasmar Martinez. Yes. Yeah. I it was on the street uh, in Santiago, and I I see this woman kind of coming at me. I'm like, I know her, <laughs> and I said, Yasmar. She goes, Brian. <laughs> it was just, it, it was just magical. The whole whole trip, just things fell together that way, and it was just a load of fun. Yeah. So I'll definitely be making plans for another one. Well, congratulations on the book. Good luck, and no matter what you do, I'm certain you'll do it with all the energy and vigor and vitality that you have. And I, I must admit. Uh, I'm so wonderful that we've all had the pleasure of meeting this uh, recovering introvert. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. <laughs> Blessings and buen camino, my friend. Buen camino, Dan. My guest this week was Brian Crothers. His new book is called Camino Child. It's available everywhere. Just Google Brian with an I and the book is called Camino Child. Just before I finish for another week, a very special shout out to my new Patreon sponsors, Barry and Grant. Thank you for your kindness. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. You can help keep the podcast ad free by chipping in really no more than the cost of a coffee each week. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. And if you're thinking of writing a book about your Camino, remember the words of the American author Nora Roberts, who has written more than 200 books. As a writer, you have to have the three Ds, drive, 
discipline and desire. If you're missing any one of those three, you can have all the talent in the world, but it's going to be really hard to get anything done. Well, the Camino is a good place to find the 3Ds. <laughs> Thanks for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.